You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. We've been talking about the plagues on Egypt for weeks, weeks. and weeks and weeks, yes. but today we come to the end of them. Today we come to the end of the plagues, and not only that, they step out into a new life. The Exodus today finally realized on, on More Than Ink. Well, good morning to you. This is Jim. And this is Dorothy. And we are glad that you've come back to our dining room table. I actually do have coffee on the table me in too. front of me this time. Me yes. too. So we are ready to go. <laughs> and uh, it's it's our delight that you have joined us as we take a walk through Exodus right now. <clears throat> and uh, as we're going through Exodus, we're just uh, making observations for you to kind of follow with us. We hope that, you know, if you're a let's say a novice Bible studier, we're hoping this is kind of making you more courageous about just diving in and just reading it and digesting what's here and not worrying about the stuff that you don't get, but catching what you can catch. Yeah, because that's the way you grasp the story at first. Right, right. And I think we underestimate the power of simple observation, mm-hmm. right? A writer or an author tells a story a particular way because they want you to notice things yeah, along that's the exactly way. Right. And yeah. so that's hopefully what we're helping you do as you listen to us, is notice what's actually there. And then we're hoping to give you some some study helps as to how right. to pursue these things at a deeper level yourself. Other things you can pursue, mm-hmm. which is which is a, that's a large topic. But Now, because we're both teachers, we tend to kind of want to just go off and talk about, <laughs> <laughs> we want yeah. to open the passage Guess to you. Guess what I found but out. But we yeah, also right. want you to to be intrigued and investigate it for yourself. Yeah, and to, and to let you know, uh, the Bible was originally written to be read out loud. Right. It was an oral tradition kind of thing. It's, it's written down here for us, which preserves it for thousands of years. But these stories would be told in large gatherings around a campfire and the story itself God has designed to communicate powerful truth so if you can understand a story you have a huge leg up on understanding some gigantic truths that the story is helping you kind of to wade into so that's what we're looking at is the story the true story of the exodus and uh, as you recall uh, Israel was is is in the process of being sprung out of the captivity of Egypt. They've been there for four centuries. They've turned into slaves of the Egyptians. And God says, I want you to serve me now, not the Egyptians. And he's gone through nine plagues. And uh, today we come to the last plague that's going to free them from their captivity. And so that ninth plague was darkness, yeah. right? A darkness that could be felt, very, very dark. And you all probably realize that darkness in the scriptures often indicates separation from God or the the darkened state of the human heart when it is right. rejecting God. And so there's a picture there that the entire nation of Egypt was subjected to this three days of dark darkness, a darkness that could be felt. Yeah, it's scary. Says. We have so much artificial light, yeah. we can't relate to it. I mean, it's just so different in that particular sense. Yeah, I was... Uh, I, I was going to share this a little bit later, but um, Proverbs 4, it gives you an understanding of what darkness is like. Proverbs 4, 19, um, 
the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. Mm-hmm. They don't know over what they stumble. Right. So really darkness is being in a miserable condition and not being able to figure out why. Right. You don't know what's there. You right. don't know the state of reality. So you that's, can't that's see darkness. anything or understand anything. It's terrifying. So today, speaking of terrifying, <laughs> we get to the last of the plagues. Well, and remember that the Lord had said, now this it will be the Lord's Passover. And when mm-hmm. I see the blood, I will pass over you. So remember that the last chapter had described um, the, he clued the him process, in. Yeah. right? Not only what was going to happen, but then Moses writes this long segment of actual instruction. Uh, keep yeah. on doing this forever. Tell your children, this is the Lord's Passover. Right. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Yeah, so this is very special. It's more than just another plague. This right. is something really very special and something for which they had to prepare before it right. happened. And they so as we come into uh, verse 29 of chapter 12, they've done the preparation and the clock strikes 12 mm. and the 10th plague comes. You want to read for us sure. as we start and write verse 29 sure, of chapter verse 12? Sure, verse 29. And at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Hmm. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you've said. Take your flocks and your herds as you've said, and be gone, and bless me also. And bless me also. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll get to that so, so so remember god warned this was going to happen you know at midnight like this and sure enough it does and the firstborn and the and this judgment is no respecter of persons right that's why he says it not only happened to the person in the dungeon and the livestock but even to pharaoh himself right no respecter of persons and which is in a sense it's almost the ultimate slight against the god system in mm-hmm. egypt because pharaoh himself was always considered to be a god mm-hmm. and so here's here's the the living god himself being struck down by the real god of the hebrews yeah no respecter of person so the great and the small alike so pharaoh rose up in the night and he and he and all his servants and there was a great cry there wasn't a single house where someone was dead wasn't and you wonder if the people actually were awake yeah because remember they were in this darkness and had been in this darkness for Mm -hmm. three days Mm -hmm. and probably the the fear would be mounting right and if you remember back at the beginning of the plagues way back in chapter four when god first sent moses to is to pharaoh he had said Mm -hmm. now you say to pharaoh Israel is my firstborn. You let my firstborn go or I will kill your firstborn. That's right. Yeah. So that warning had been laid down at the very beginning of this whole plague process. Yeah. Yeah. That was in chapter four, verses 22 and 23. He says, you know, free my firstborn. Israel right. is my firstborn right. or else I will take your firstborn. Right. So, so that was a long time ago in this story. And now here it's actually happened. So you kind of have the feeling that everybody was awake because look what happens in the next verse in 33. It says the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their Mm -hmm. kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked 
Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Right. And you realize that the plundering idea is what happens when an army conquers another army and then they right. take all their stuff. Right. And the stuff of their villages they're defending, presumably. And here, uh, the Egyptians are plundered because, right. not because of a war, but because they've sort of given in to the power of God. In well, situation. God has overwhelmed them. Exactly. And, yeah. it, you know, what occurred to me this week, uh, because I've been studying Genesis kind of concurrently with doing this, is God had told Abraham, hundreds of years before this, your people will be yeah. uh, in bondage yeah. in Egypt, but I will judge that nation, and when they come out, they will come out rich. rich. They will plunder the yeah. Egyptians. Yep, yeah. they come out rich. Or you might consider it back pay for generations of <laughs> slaves working in these households. Who knows? But they do come out rich. Uh, they're actually driven out. Remember in the yeah, previous people are chapter, anxious for them to go. Like, what yeah. can I give you so you'll go right yeah, now? Yeah, God, God said in the previous chapter that, that when Pharaoh lets you go, he's not just going to let you go; he's going to drive, drive you out, you which out. is what he's doing. And the people here are saying, "Go away!" So everyone, the green light is a big green light, and they leave. So let's go to thirty-seven. So the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to to Sukkot, uh, about six hundred thousand men wow. on foot. Besides the women and children, a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, had no yeast, because they were thrust out of Egypt, thrust out of Egypt, mm. and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. So they go from Ramesses to Sukkot. And Sukkot actually is a generic term for just uh, a tent, a covering. Uh, it may not actually have been a city. It might be that he's saying they went from the region of Ramesses and they just went out to where they pitched tents. Pitched tents, so, yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, to this day, there's a there's a holiday in the Jewish calendar called Sukkot, right? And it's about pitching tents, right. and you but live outside. But there is there isn't any uh, this place Sukkot that's referred to here as if it's an actual geographical place has never actually been pinned to a map. There's a very variety mm -hmm. of opinions about mm -hmm. where this might have been. Exactly, exactly. But they weren't living in hotels. They no, were, they were carrying everything with them. They were carrying everything with them. And and check out the size. So 600,000 men on foot. Now, if you multiply that, say they're all heads of household. Right. Um, you're talking about a wife and maybe one or two kids. You're talking about at least 2 million people. A couple million people. That's a lot of people. How long does it take for 2 million people to, to walk by yeah, a, exactly. a measuring point? <laughs> right. right. Right, right. And not only 2 million people, but even more people. It says a, it says a mixed multitude. So this wasn't like they just snuck out of the middle of the night. This no. was a massive, massive, massive exodus. Yeah, and the livestock and the flocks and the herds. I mean, all of it. I mean, it's just and a they were carrying thing. a lot of stuff. Yeah, because they were not only carrying their dough right for their next meal mm -hmm. on their wrapped up on their heads or in their shawls, but they were carrying everything they had taken from the Egyptians. Right, right. which we'll find out later in Exodus comes in very handy in the wilderness when they're building the tabernacle. Yeah, very, that's, that's exactly right. But here. Here, here is literally an entire nation that has that has everything that they own, and they're on the road, mm -hmm. and they're moving. Uh, and it, it's just huge. And they've also got something to eat because the you know the the cakes they baked were unleavened; they had no yeast in them. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But that was just a necessity because God said, "Get ready, get set. You're going to leave tonight." And so there was no time to wait for the. So this bread is a rise. really important summary statement. It says they went out. Here's where they went. Here's how right. many that went. Here's who all went. That mixed multitude. There were Egyptians that went. There with them, were Egyptians, which doesn't become clear until a little later in the book. Right. Uh, there might also have been other enslaved people. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, carrying everything they owned, 
And then the, the summary goes on in verse 40, and the time that the people in is, of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout all their generations. Mm-hmm. So there mm-hmm. we have it again, the instruction. Remember this always. Remember Celebrate this, this always. every year because this is a massive redemption And, and story. I like the picture, a night of watching, because mm-hmm. God had told them, be ready, be right. ready, be ready, so that when we say go, go. And uh, and what they're doing is they're, they're waiting and they're watching for the Lord's action to take yeah. place. And, uh, and what a great picture. Inside their houses, remember, they had put the blood on the doorway and gone in. And God said, now stay in there. Until right. I tell you to go, until I have passed over, the judgment has passed by. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm sipping coffee. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so stay in, right? Yeah. Stay behind that blood-smeared doorway. Right. So it's happened, and and they're out, <laughs> and they're on the move, and they're they're trucking out of Egypt, and they're walking across the sand. So, um, so again, since this the, this tenth plague is the Passover. Now we have to talk about the institution of the Passover because God said, I want you to commemorate this forever right. and ever right. and ever. This is an important event. And uh, so let's see exactly what he, what he says to do. So when you get to verse 43, you, you see this whole idea of the institution, this memorializing of it. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is, a, is, this is the statute of the Passover. Um, no foreigner shall eat it. Uh, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. But no foreigner or hired worker may eat it. It shall be eaten in one house. Uh, you shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Mm. We're talking about this lamb now. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. Uh, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native uh, and and for the stranger who sojourns among you. So all the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. So we get this really interesting intermix of narrative of the actual events that happened, real people in a real place and time doing a real thing, and this uh, perpetual instruction that was to be repeated and remembered mm-hmm. every year. It's it's just an interesting way of, prevent, of presenting the story so that every year as you're reading the passage, you are also rereading the instruction to right. keep remembering. Right, right. So it's kind of a retrospective in a sense. People, you know, generations mm-hmm. after this will read this and say, oh, that's why we do this. That's right. what the Passover is all about. It's about this true story of, of our people being, in a sense, reborn as a nation. Yeah, so when I was growing up, and I didn't know a lot of Jewish people, but I knew enough to know that uh-huh. they celebrated Passover, and it was kind of all one word mashed together, Passover, Passover. right? And yeah. it was a thing. But <laughs> it was not until many years later that I began to study the actual Passover and realize mm-hmm. that the Passover was that whole idea of God raining judgment down on all mm-hmm. who were in the dark. And the only reason he passed over his people was because they had listened to him and sacrificed that lamb and put the blood on the doorway. Followed his instructions, trusted in him. You know, the Passover 
the passing by of our sins, the passing out of judgment mm-hmm. uh, because of God's activity for our redemption is the big story yeah. here. Oh, That's yeah. the big picture. Yeah, yeah. And it's... Um, and I like to emphasize this a lot. The, the whole idea of Passover is is going from one state of right. living to another state right. of living, and uh, and that at, at this point in the in the story, actually, all the Israelites have is God's promise of a land filled with milk right. and honey. Right. And, I mean, they're they're stepping out into the desert. It's not like they can say, "Well, yeah, we found this really great place to live just down the coast here. Let's all go there tonight. We'll find places to live." No, they're stepping out into into the void in a, in a sense and in that void that is a promise. that's where they came from. Yeah. Uh, you know, Many 400 years before because yeah. that's the land that God had said to Abraham, now right. I'm going to give all this land to your descendants. And so right. Abram lived there. And right, right. it was from there that Isaac was born, Jacob was born, and then the 12 yeah. sons so of Jacob. Have, so the whole nation grew. So they have some early experience there. Right. But it was four centuries. They have some cultural memory. Yeah. So That's they know our homeland. They know it's the right place, but in that time, they don't know what it's turned into. I mean, it's really it's really a step of faith for them to leave. But they're leaving one one life, entering into another life. Let's talk about this uh this leaven kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, well, that's really the biggest, the next, that's next week. I know, I, but I wanted <laughs> to do, start it now? I, I wanted to do just kind <laughs> okay. of a precursor to that because it's mentioned a couple times here and okay. many times you go past it here and just say, well, that was, that was just the mechanics of the thing. They didn't know when they're going to leave, so they didn't have time for their bread to rise, but there's more going on than just that. Okay. So do you want to do you want to hint that you or just want to wait? Nope, I would hold it for next week. <laughs> you open okay, that we'll box. Okay, <laughs> we'll hold it for next I week. I think we have plenty here to talk about well, without okay, opening we'll, that box yet. We'll, we'll hold it for. <laughs> okay, well let's let's talk about the bones then. The bones? Yeah. Shall not, oh, not break any bones. Oh, breaking the bones. Ah, ah. Because if you're a reader of the Old and the New Testament, especially hey. the New Testament, something rings in the back of your head about the not breaking any bones. Okay. In in relation to the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross, right? Yeah, because you remember in the in the story, if you read like in John nineteen, uh, they they wanted to hurry up the process of the death of these three guys on the cross, so they said, "Go out there and break their legs, and they'll die faster." And when right. when they got to Jesus, he was already dead, so they did not break his legs. And then and then John writes for us, you know that that's actually the fulfillment of prophecy, right? And it ties them together also with this. Passover lamb, the lamb that was sacrificed, whose bones were not broken. So, yes. So you who are listening, we'll just put this out here on the table. Every detail about this original Passover and every Passover since points to Jesus. And But we mm-hmm. sometimes that escapes us in just an over-the-top reading. So as you go back and reread this passage, pay attention now to things that sound familiar, oh, or things that might be pointing to Jesus. If you remember, and I mentioned this, I think, last week, that John the Baptist, when he first saw Jesus, said, Behold, there's the Lamb of God the who Lamb takes God. away the yeah. sin of the world. And that, right. was, that was a pure Passover reference. Right, a Passover reference. And then Jesus himself said, I'm the door. I am the way. And where did that blood get smeared in the Passover? On the door, right? Passing from it through a doorway is going inside to protection and outside to to whatever you're going to do, right? Mm -hmm. So the picture here is going inside the blood of Jesus for protection from God's judgment and then going out through the blood of Jesus into a whole new life. So yeah. I have in front of me here, uh, because as I was thinking about this, I realized Jesus said this, but it might we might miss it. In John 5, 24, 
He said, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out passed of death out. into life. Hey, that sounds like Passover. Passover, yeah. right? Yeah. You have moved from one condition to another. You have mm-hmm. moved out of death into life by believing in the sacrificial death of Jesus. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, that's only one way that this passage points to Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a point where I had forgotten about this till just now, where Jesus talks about... Uh, be a sheepfold and him being the good shepherd yeah, and that's stuff in John like that. 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John 10. And uh, and the fact that he's the gate that goes into that. Right. And if you think about the fact that many times they would uh, they would sleep their sheep in a small uh, a small enclosure. It wasn't really an enclosure. It was like a waist high wall in a circle uh, that they would march their sheep into and they would stay inside that. But there wasn't a real door right there. It was just an opening. So often the shepherds would lay down themselves in that opening, right. which kept wolves out from coming into that confined space. So he not only protected the sheep, which is what happens here from the Passover, that door protects the ones inside the house. But then he also points to that door as the way to come out from there to find pasture in real right. life. So right. that, that imagery is really strong parallel right here. So if you're listening, that verse that we're referring to is in John 10, verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. There it is. Go in through the door and be mm-hmm. saved. And shall go out and find pasture. And find there pasture. There it is. So yeah. if you are listening and you have never read John 10 before, where Jesus makes those repeated references to being the door and the way and the good shepherd. And in John 14, where he says, I am the way. I'm the way. The truth yeah. and the life. Yeah. Uh, go and check those things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There, There is so much... It's, you know, we could go crazy. There is so much connection here to images of who Jesus is Mm -hmm. that to this day, it sort of blows my mind that Jews who are familiar with this story don't automatically look in that and say, I see Jesus all over this. Right. Um, there's a blindness that's there, admittedly, that that only God can kind of remove from them. But I've talked to Jews who have come to Jesus afterwards, and they say, I don't know why I didn't see this before. I mean, yeah. it's, it's very, very strong. So this is a, so I'll put in my pitch for saying, if you're a Bible reader, it's really a cool idea to simultaneously read New Testament and Old, oh, because absolutely. you'll find gigantic links between them. And you don't have to be a real scholar to discover them. You'll just be reading and go, wait a second, right. that reminds me there of... There it is on the page. It's right yeah. there. It's more than ink it's more on the than page yeah. there, there it is <laughs> yeah and so for us when we're reading this passage all these little all these little light bulbs are going off in our head mm-hmm. because we've read so many connections to these things you know it shall not break any of my bones you, you read that in a couple of the psalms i mean you, you hear that in the uh when john talks about uh, prophecy being fulfilled and not breaking the bones of jesus and you go oh yeah I've, yeah I've read that before i have i've heard that i know that this is a connect this is a deliberate story connection that got right. put together so that when jesus comes they'll go aha i get it I get so it. the passover is a story of redemption yeah. how god redeemed his people through no effort of their own all they did was listen to what he told them and act on it take him at his word and do it and yeah. do it yeah. go in the door and stay there until the judgment has passed by and then go out through the door right. just like he told you right and so god continually through the rest of the scriptures will say hey i'm the god who brought you out of egypt mm-hmm. i'm mm-hmm. the one who did that for you you didn't do it for yourself yeah. Right, and there's a there's a very famous messianic prophecy in Isaiah 61 that I won't read oh, yeah. the whole thing, but it says he will, will has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, right? And mm-hmm. so again, we're pointing to Jesus, this story of redemption, the one who has set us free, come to save us, 
<laughs> yeah, and that uh, that passage is uh, in the Gospels is deliberately one of the first things we hear read well, Jesus read. That's the one Jesus introduced himself right, by when he right. was reading in the synagogue in Nazareth where he had that, grown up. That's right, his big public. Yeah, and he looked uh, at the eyeball out. and said, "Today, you're looking at him." Yep, right. It's been fulfilled today. <laughs> yeah, that's very famous. Very, very famous. And that that's his role, and that's what God does here. Yeah, I you know before we before we finish, it's just worth. It's just worth mentioning the very last line we read in verse 51. Uh, the Lord brought the people of Israel mm-hmm. out of the land of Egypt. Do you know how frequently that that phrase, that idea comes up in oh, the Old Testament? So I'm often. the God who brought you out Did of you the land of them? Egypt. No. <laughs> but I started to and I thought, you know, I don't really need to because God just, God reminds the nation over and over, over and over and over, and over, and over. I'm the one that got you out of Egypt. I'm the one that pulled you out. It was a great undertaking of great power and the result of great love on his part for them. So every time a challenge would come up or God would ask them to do something that seems like bigger and crazier than ever before, he'd say, hey, 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 I'm the God who got you out of Egypt. And that is actually a touchstone throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. I'm the God who brought you out. So that's why I don't want you to get past that line. The very closing line in verse 51, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of Egypt. The Lord brought them out. The Lord did. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just, that's gigantic. If you want to look at themes in the Old Testament, that's a theme right there. And it's something that God accomplished, not them, not them. Hmm. Well, I, <laughs> this actually will pertain to our discussion next week, too. But Revelation 1.5 says, To Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by yes. his blood. Yes. There it is again. The release yes. from sin by his blood. So could you say their captivity in Egypt is equivalent to our captivity in our sin? Well, it's the picture. That's One is exactly the picture of is. the other. Right. Right. So you have actually been freed from captivity, but not of Egypt. Freed from the captivity to sin itself, which yields you in darkness and despair. And, and separation from God. And he's the God that's but brought God you out God is powerful and yeah. he brings you out. God does that, not you. Well, Through the sacrifice of Jesus. We're out of time and we're going to continue to watch them as they leave Egypt and what happens after that. So we hope that you join us next time. We'll be starting into chapter 13 and we'll follow the nation of Israel, the new nation of Israel, as they traipse off into the desert. And you'll see God in a mighty way. So I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. So join us next time on More, More Than, Than Inc. Inc. Than Inc. is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City and is solely responsible for its content. To contact us with your questions or comments, just go to our website, morethaninc.org. So you can start it with that, and I'll see what kind of snappy repartee <laughs> comes out of my mouth. So in three, two, one.